This edition of How To Be A CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. ES Audio. Get a cup of tea, have a biscuit, come up with a brilliant business idea. That's how lots of entrepreneurs went from the kitchen table to multi-million pound success. Or at least, they say that's how it happened. But it's not how Biscuiteers started. There, the plan came first. The ambition of the business was to create a whole new sector in gifting. I was really doing research into flowers, chocolates... You know, those are the those are where we see our competitive set. Harriet Hastings is the co-founder and MD of the company that began taking orders for its luxury biscuit gifts online in 2007. Now it's employing 180 people and just opened up a new US-based service. She's achieved that day one ambition, but it has not been easy. Running a business, particularly as it gets bigger, as I've discovered, you know, becomes a great deal more stressful than it is at the beginning. The beginning bit, I think, is the fun bit. The more the, the business scales up, the greater the responsibility. I'm David Marsden from the Evening Standard. Harriet will be appearing at our SME Expo, which is being held at XL London on April 25th and 26th. To find out more and get free tickets, go to smexpo.co.uk. She's going to be on a panel talking about managing increasing costs in business, which we'll also touch on in this show. But let's start with where she's talking to us from. The Biscuiteers HQ in London's Collier's Wood. They call it the Ministry of Biscuits. That's a great name for an office. There is a... I suppose Willy Wonka is uh, probably the most appropriate uh, version uh, aspect to what we do. You know, it's a mad business, really. Uh, we are hand icing at the moment um, three million biscuits a year here and building capacity to, to take that to six million biscuits. So we've taken the concept of a really an artisanal business and really trying to work out how to deliver that at scale. How many biscuits did you do in your first year? Let's compare that to the six million. I obviously don't know, but I would have thought the answer to that is, you know, a few thousands. You know, it took us quite a long time to get here. I mean, the interest was there right from the very beginning because we had the good fortune to be in one of those businesses which was first to market with an idea. Obviously, that meant that there was a lot of interest in what we were doing. We had we were adopted very quickly, uh, particularly I think by uh, by the sort of fashion media and indeed and indeed fashion companies as well who wanted to buy from us. Those were our very first biscuits that we were known for. We were doing sort of handbags and shoes and 
those kind of things. And, and, and that got us a lot of profile quite quickly. Yeah, and I, I may be wrong here, so do, do correct me if I am, but I think the idea came first, didn't it? Because you're not a baker by trade, Harriet. No, I'm a marketeer. <laughs> that's what I am <laughs> by trade, and that's what my uh, career has been in. And it was literally that combination of the fact that my husband was in, if you like, the food space, the commercial food space. And I saw that there was an opportunity for food gifting. And I also saw there was an opportunity for sort of corporate branded gifting as well. So it was those two ideas that kind of came together and also thought it wasn't being done very well. I think that's probably, you know, in terms of that sort of solving a problem. I thought there was a lot of market and not not a great deal of choice. But it's one thing having the idea... And it's another to go ahead with it, isn't it? Is that was that a scary moment for you? Was that daunting? What were you thinking? Um, I, I think it wasn't as scary, perhaps it should have been. I think I'm typical of uh, particular kind of entrepreneurs who. So I, in other words, I had left my full time job because I had four children, and I was finding that daunting at that point. And so I was, I I wasn't completely not working, but I was sort of working as a consultant, really. And I think I just, because I wasn't doing anything else, wasn't doing a big job at the time. It it felt more like an opportunity. Do you know what I mean? It felt like I had less to lose than I perhaps might have done at a different stage in my life. But what I knew I wanted was a lot more kind of agency and control over my own time. And I think that's quite a common story among the reasons why women particularly just often decide that running their own business is a good life choice mm-hmm. you know and and running a business particularly as it gets bigger as i've discovered you know becomes a great deal more stressful than it is at the beginning the beginning bit i think is the fun bit you know the more the, the business scales up the greater the responsibility i think that is more daunting but you do choose how when and where you work that matters if you particularly if you have a young family when you made that that step, when you decided to do it, it sounds like you did a lot of research beforehand. Did did you? Did you put lots of hours into looking at the market or did you just go, yeah, this will work? I don't know if I put hours. I mean, I felt like I was in that market. I suppose that's part, partly. I felt like I understood um, the, the sort of people who might be my customers. Um, and I understood who the players in that market were at the time. Um you know, so you have to remember that people like Fortnum, so I suppose are the natural people you think about when you think about food gifting, didn't have a big e-commerce proposition at the time. And a big part of my idea was it was going to be an e-commerce platform. It was going to deliver a service as much as it was going to deliver a product. So as you scale up, you start off as a as a small company, maybe just a handful of staff. But as you scale up, how do things change for you? When you're moving from that kind of small business to a medium one to, to quite a large one now that the biscuitiers is, what are the biggest challenges there? I think the biggest challenges is you get into the kind of the big time stuff of, you know, I mean, you know, we're employing 180 people. That's a lot of people to be responsible for. And it means that like all businesses of our size, you know, cash is king. I think worrying about, you know, cash flow and making sure that, you know, you've got what you need to kind of keep the business going. And for a business like ours, which has natural seasonality built into it, um, you know, we're essentially having to make all of the investment in our stock in advance of being able to sell it, which puts pressure on things like cash flow. And the more the business grows, the more those problems are scaled up. That makes sense. Were there ever any points when you thought we're expanding too fast or even the opposite? We need to go faster. Um, If anything, I think that what I've learned is we should have gone faster quicker. Oh, really? Yeah. And I I think it's 
partly because we didn't take any investment in the business for a very long time. And in retrospect, and I think probably because we valued all of the control in the business and running it. And I think that it limited a little bit, you know, the kind of speed and acceleration, which I now see. So I do slightly regret that. We didn't get into this building, which has really enabled us to create that kind of operational scale um, until 2019. And we started the business in 2007. So, you know, it's taken, took a while. So uh, are you moving and making decisions much faster now? Is that what you learn from them? Because you've, you've opened the site in the US now. You're starting to expand internationally. Was that a quick decision for you? I think it's a, I mean, what I believe about the business is that, you know, Biscuiteers is a very unique concept in the market. And it's still a very unique concept in the market and gifting market. The ambition of the business was to create a whole new sector in gifting. So we started, when you say what research was I doing, I was really doing research into flowers, chocolates. You know, those are the, those are where we see our competitive set. So anywhere that you might spend your money on the kind of things that we're selling gifts for, you know, we're an occasional led all year round gifting business is essentially what we are. The other thing that's interesting about it, it's not only unique in the UK, as far as we've been able to see, it's pretty unique around the world. The opportunity is obviously there. And the way that we're approaching it is uh, the US was our biggest market. So it was the obvious thing was to to have a sort of US facing site, which is very new for us, um, because we already organically had uh, got quite a few customers in the US. So there was sort of natural affinity. Also, we have two icing cafes in London. It's quite interesting. It kind of helps you to see where there is a lot of kind of really intense sort of enthusiasm for what we're doing. That's really interesting. So those physical sites which as an online retailer, which you were, those physical sites have made quite a big difference to you then. They've, they've worked as marketing vehicles, I suppose. That was always the intention. So we're the absolute opposite, I suppose, from a company that was, if you like, traditionally high street retail and put up a website. We're an e-commerce company who saw that having a bricks and mortar site would add value in terms of brand and marketing. In a way that because it is challenging, I think, to be pure online, you know, and and so I the way I see the shops, I see them as 365 days piece of out, out of home advertising. Now, I mean, not only that, but, you know, they're very much marketing hubs and we um, see them as sort of customer acquisition points, experiential ways to kind of really understand the brand um, and also marketing hubs. So... We use them for influencer events. We use them, I mean, we've got, you know, somebody coming in to film in there this week. You know, it's sort of constant focus, you know, because it, it really brings the brand to life. And I also think I really noticed when we when we opened the first one, which was the hardest decision, I felt that the brand was elevated by just by the fact of having um, a shop in a kind of key London location changed people's um, attitudes towards the brand. It gave it kind of more substance. You know, we weren't just a website. Yeah, and and you clearly put a lot of thought into how those stores would look, didn't you? Because they have quite spectacular frontage and then you go in and it's all very, very lovely in there, isn't it? How much were you thinking about what does Biscuitier look like in a physical form? I mean, I would say, so uh, two parts. The illustrated look, which is part of the way and the very sort of unique way that we approach our packaging, because gifting is about the, you know, the 360 experience, the whole thing. And so um, the very wonderful illustrator that we work with all the time came and did the illustrations for the front. When it came to the inside, I have to say, uh, my husband and I pretty much designed it on the back of an envelope, the first one. 
because that was kind of what that was pretty much what budgets allowed in those days. Um, but it it was fine. I mean, it it sort of evolved, but you know, the black and white look that was created around it is also partly because we have a very colourful product, and so that's a good way to kind of to kind of showcase it. I think I think the other big decision though was that we just weren't sure um, that and that you could just have a biscuit shop and that you and it would you know pay its way. So what we did was we came up with this concept of the icing cafe. Basically, the shops have multi-income streams, um, really, because we have a school of icing is based in both shops, and we do kids' parties and afternoon teas, and we have a cafe, and you know we do, and we're and we're a biscuit boutique. Biscuit boutiques were a rare or concept. There was an element of customer education, because it's like what you want people to understand is these are gifts. You know, they are they are beautiful gifts, and they're priced accordingly. They're not really designed, you know, for you to just, you know, they're not they're not like a box of digestives or something. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of because we were first into the market. It, it, it there is that element of saying we want everybody to think about ice biscuits as a much more personalised, stylish way of gifting. You know, a really interesting alternative to just sending another bunch of flowers. Obviously, I'm now going to have a biscuit. Maybe you should too. While you do that, have a listen to some adverts and hit the follow button on your podcast provider so you never miss an episode of How to Be a CEO. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. How important have partnerships been with you in terms of accelerating the growth of Biscuitier? When you say partnerships, we, there's different bits. We have a, what we call corporate sales. So we sell, and that's quite a big part of our business. So we sell directly to corporates um, and that would be designs of bespoke designs. So they could be fashion designs, they could be logos, they could be anything really. But I think that is is, is both a legitimate business uh, model, but also there is no question that being associated with luxury brands, you know, absolute sort of world-beating luxury brands, obviously is a great way to kind of enhance your own brand. What we also do is we also have always done a lot of partnerships with other, usually with British brands, like ours, so people with whom we feel that Biscuiteers has a natural affinity, where there is likely to be a crossover um, of customer base, we would consider that part of our 
marketing. Every month we will be doing sort of types. And then we also do product types. So for instance, uh, we did one last year and we will this year, we have a partnership with Emma Bridgewater for Mother's Day. We will do Emma Bridgewater designs as biscuits. We had a partnership with Sophie Conran at Christmas when we were doing an advent calendar together. So sometimes it goes further, it can go into product and sometimes it's pure marketing partnerships. Who goes to who first then? Do you go out and go, we're doing this and it's going to work for your business? Or did you find people going, could you do something for us? We've got this idea. What, what comes first? I think it started with people approaching us. And I think then now, because we do more of it and it's, and it's a more sort of, if you like, for, formal approach to how we do it, we sometimes approach other brands and say, would you like to work with us? I think the most important thing is that there is a sort of light, nice crossover of audience and, and, and it feels like it's a good fit. Mm. We work with a lot of other sort of entrepreneur-led brands as well for the same reason. I also think at a sort of broader level, SMEs supporting each other is a really good thing. It's a really, it's a really <laughs> effective way to do marketing without just spending it in a kind of paid base. It's like PR as well, often underestimated. You know, those kind of marketing channels are really, really valuable um, in terms of getting businesses going and growing. Was that quite a nice surprise for you when you got the first kind of invite to do business with a partner? Were you going, oh, I never thought of this? Or, or <laughs> what, what happened uh, there? Well, it was amazing, actually, because we launched Biscuiteers in September 2007. And by that Christmas, we were doing a whole range of effectively corporate orders for PR agencies, fashion brands, you know. And the reason that happened is because we did a lot of PR. So my view is you get out there, you shout about what you're doing, and that is the quickest way to get people to pick up the phone to you if it's interesting enough from people. And that's very much how we did it. We we didn't have budgets, you know, uh, paid budgets like we do now. So we very much lent into PR as being the way in which we told people about what we were doing. The first year, I think, I think it was the first year we were doing, you know, Mulberry and Burberry and, you know, and brands like that. And yes, there is a, obviously a kind of rolling element of, you know, sort of being, you know, the new people on the block with a new idea, new way of approaching it. And, and that brought Selfridges to us as well, actually, because we didn't even think we wanted to do wholesale when we started. But within three months, Selfridges came knocking on the door and we've been with them ever since. So, you know, I think it's, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I just think you have to be quite open-minded when you start something like this. Do PR people make good entrepreneurs? Okay, so this is, I'll ask the question in a slightly different way. I believe it, particularly in consumer businesses, that, um, and, and particularly in SMEs, that marketing is the single most important sort of skill set. Because in the end, that's what you're doing. You're selling all the time, aren't you? You're selling and you're marketing. And, and if you can have the most brilliant product in the world, but if people don't know about it, you can't people to come and get it. And I think what sometimes happens is that the product comes first and then the marketing. And I think that's the wrong way around. The two things should always go hand in hand. Because I very much, and I that's partly because of my background and what I was trained in, we really look at everything we do in Biscuiteers through a marketing lens. We know that, you know, our fundamentally biggest task is to, you know, we've got a great product, um, we've got a very loyal customer base, but we have to get more customers to discover us all the time. That's our, our challenge in the consumer space. And you've got that challenge now stepping into that US market. You said earlier that a lot of your kind of branded stuff was, was based on British brands. Is that going to continue in the states because you know a lot, a lot of people in america quite like a, a, a bit of british yeah. brand 
But are you going to evolve it to include kind of US brands, US names, things familiar to people over there? I mean, to be honest, we are thinking about how we're going to approach this. But the things that we will definitely do early on is actually to look at partnerships in the same way that we've done in the UK. Because obviously a lot of people are operating in the UK also have American arms. So that's a very good way for us to get in front of some new kind of American customers. We'll also do PR. So I, in fact, I've got an American company coming to film in this week. So those kind of ways are good way to us to get our foot in the market, to test it. And then I'm sure we will look at the paid route as well, because we will have to. It's an exciting market. You know, I think but average basket size, you know, sizes, for instance, are much higher in the US than they are in the UK. So, you know, they're very good customers. You know, what we're also doing is we're, from a wholesale perspective, we're now actively working with more uh, wholesalers outside the UK as a really good way to get a positioning in, in that market and to understand those markets better. But also once you open up your kind of wholesale opportunities you know, outside of the UK, it's a huge, you know, obviously it's a limitless market and very exciting. Is it going to affect the way, because Biscuitiers kind of handles everything all by itself, doesn't it? It does the manufacturer, it does the supply, it does all the retail. Is it going to affect the way that the company does that? Is everything still going to come from the Ministry of Biscuits? In the short term, yes, because we have built a lot of sort of operational capacity here. And obviously that's in simpler way to do it right now. We also, also, we can ship very, very quickly. You know, we can ship to the East Coast and America in two days. So it's not difficult to fulfill from here. Obviously, if we get to the point where you run out, run out of sort of either operational space here or manage to create a market that was big enough to justify it, you could then, the obvious thing would be to start manufacturing locally. But at the moment, I would say, you know, we're just not at that stage. You know, we're testing markets right now and trying to work out, you know, where our biggest opportunities lie. It's obviously quite a big logistical challenge. Do you enjoy that side of, of running a business like this now that you're moving international? You're going global. Do I enjoy that? <laughs> I think, well, naturally, I enjoy more. I enjoy products a lot. I've, I've always enjoyed creating products um, and have sort of led that here. And sales and marketing, yes, absolutely enjoy that. I think my husband, who works with me in the business, has been much more on the kind of operational side of it. I mean, I've I've worked with a lot of you know large businesses in my time, and it and it's not something that I particularly enjoy. And I think the reason for that is that you know the, the businesses smells small and can behave like an entrepreneurial business. And the great joys of these kind of businesses, you can make decisions and change quickly. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm reasonably sort of impatient person. When you, you've got an idea or you want to do something, or you said to be able to affect change is one of the great joys of working in these kind of businesses. I mean, it's not for everybody, but if you enjoy that, I think, I think you can have a lot of impact in a business like this. And I think, I think for a lot of people in their working lives, that's what they enjoy is feeling that they're actually having a tangible effect on, on what's happening on a day-to-day basis. So no regrets about launching. <laughs> I mean, I've, the thing I always say is, it's just to say, do you still enjoy it? You know, I've been working for a long time and if I hadn't come and done this, and that's partly because the market, the market changes so quickly, digital marketing changes annually. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's incredible, you know, what the learning curve in terms of uh, where that's going. And also, as you as you as you alluded to, the kind of logistical challenges of what we're trying to achieve, and 
currently there are considerable logistical challenges getting you know product into the EU and things. You know, there's a there's always problems to solve, and I enjoy solving problems. So yes, I I, I have really enjoyed, and I also feel that it's an act of creativity building a business. So that's you know interesting too. And just quickly, and with the disclaimer that clearly you have no favourite brands, everybody's all all treated equally. Has there been a biscuit, a product, or something that you've seen and gone, oh, that's so good? I'm so proud to have been behind this. Yeah, that. Well, this mean a few things, odd ones we've done. We did a few years ago build Waddesdon House in as a, as a massive gingerbread house. We built all the rooms like a like a sort of giant doll's house. But we did in icing all the tapestries, all the paintings, the furniture, the whole thing. I mean, it wasn't just the outside of the house, it was the inside of the house. And I did look at that and go, do you know, that is absolute art. <laughs> you know, because the guys, and I would like to give them a shout out, you know, the, the ices um, we work here, they're artists. You know, it, it's, it is an art form, what we do, and that's what we're selling. And that was a sort of, at a very, you know, high end. So I remember that was amazing. And, and in fact, more recently, the Christian Dior um, experience at Harrods, which was extraordinary. And then we were supplying all of the biscuits, which were very, very beautiful, bespoke and very, you know, hand-iced biscuits. And we were struggling to keep them in stock. But, you know, just to see how much and the kind of impact they made was amazing. So to get the opportunity to do things like that is great for everybody. Oh, and then I would also say my guys love, we've just started supplying um, Warner Brothers Studios with Harry Potter biscuits, which probably caused more excitement in the business. Finally, we get to (laughs) heist Harry Potter. That was Harriet Hastings from Biscuiteers. For more interviews, news and analysis, check out standard.co.uk forward slash business or pick up the Evening Standard newspaper. How to be a CEO is back on Monday morning. We'd love to see you then. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.